Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, January 27th, and this is your FT News Briefing. UK Chancellor Jeremy Hunt is taking on right-wing MPs. Brazil and Argentina are talking about a common currency. One critic calls it insane. Plus, we'll tell you about a wild court battle involving Nigeria, two Irishmen, and $11 billion. It's pretty mad. I've seen some people saying this is like one of the biggest high court cases ever in terms of money. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The FT reports that Jeremy Hunt will reject calls from right-wing MPs to cut taxes. He's set to do that in a speech today that will lay the groundwork for his March budget. This comes just months after markets freaked out over the previous chancellor's plan for unfunded tax cuts. Hunt is deeply frustrated by what Treasury insiders say is the short memory of these right-wing MPs. He'll argue that he can grow the economy without cutting taxes. And he's expected to say in today's speech, quote, the best tax cut right now is a cut in inflation. A top international economist has called a plan for a Latin American common currency insane. He's referring to plans that would create a regional currency block. Argentina and Brazil made the announcement this week, so we asked our Latin America editor, Michael Stott, for his take. So for Argentina, this does make sense. I mean, they they need really a new currency. Argentines have lost confidence in the peso. They hold a huge number of assets outside the country in U.S. dollars. If they're going to ever bring back those assets to Argentina, they need a currency they can have confidence in, and a currency which the Argentine government didn't fully control and which was subject, say, to a regional central bank would inspire a lot more confidence, I think. And as you've reported, Michael, these two countries have a really strong trade relationship. Yeah. So, Mark, these two countries both have quite closed economies. They don't trade that much with the rest of the world apart from exporting commodities. What they do do is trade with each other, and there's quite an active trade in things like car parts, which are made in Brazil and go to Argentina to be assembled, um, that sort of thing, which helps the domestic industries. And that's what these two left-wing presidents are very keen to boost further, is their domestic industries. And they see this as a way of helping their domestic producers integrate a bit more and be a bit more competitive. And Brazil's president also wants this, we should say, though there are people in Brazil who are pretty uncomfortable hitching their economy to Argentina's. Well, I think, Mark, you know, experts always say that for common currencies to work, you need to have economies that are broadly in sync with each other. You know, the euro is held together basically by France and Germany, which are both strong, developed, advanced economies with good management. And the problem at the moment is you've got Argentine inflation of nearly 100% a year, Brazilian inflation below 10% a year, Argentina printing money to finance a big government deficit. The list kind of goes on and on, but there's very little convergence between these two economies. So it sounds like at this point, at least, all this talk of a common currency is largely political, right? Yes, very much so. Yeah, it's really about political signaling. I think that's a lot of it. it. It's about showing willingness to collaborate more closely on political and economic issues. Michael Stott is the FT's Latin America editor.
In London's high court this week, Nigeria's government began its effort to overturn a massive award. The country had been ordered to pay an obscure offshore company. The company, called P&ID, was run by two Irishmen, one of them a former band manager. More than a decade ago, they convinced Nigerian officials to sign a contract to turn the country's natural gas reserves into power. The project never went anywhere. The businessmen sued Nigeria for breach of contract, and a British arbitration panel ordered Nigeria to pay $6.5 billion. Now, with interest, that's ballooned to $11 billion. The FT's legal correspondent, Kate Bioli, is covering this, and she joins me now. Hi, Kate. Hi, Ab. All right, so what's going on here, Kate? Yes, yeah, so this is a really unusual case um, in which, as you say, Nigeria is trying to fight back against this arbitration award that's left it owing more than a quarter of its foreign reserves to this obscure offshore company over a gas project that never got off the ground. A quarter of its foreign reserves? I, that's, that's enormous. So that's one of the biggest awards to have ever come from an arbitration proceedings that we know about. And certainly one of the biggest amounts ever owed to a small company by a sovereign state. Now, it's become the source of this major fight because Nigeria claims that this whole thing, from the contract to the arbitration proceeding themselves, were a sham or a massive fraud, essentially, and that PNID has been acting in collusion with Nigerian government officials and even the country's own lawyers to defraud it. Now, just a reminder to listeners, P&ID is the company's name, and it stands for Process and Industrial Development. Um, just out of curiosity, Kate, how did P&ID get such a big award in the first place? Well, arbitration proceedings are interesting because they are notoriously opaque. We never normally get to hear about anything to do with them, whether, you know, the negotiations that go into them or the outcome. They happen behind closed doors. So... All we know is that because the companies had agreed to arbitrate their dispute in London, it goes to a panel of arbitrators, and this is the outcome. In terms of why it was that size, that is supposed to just be the profits that were owed to PNID as a result of the contract, which never was fulfilled. Now, does Nigeria have any accountability because they signed a contract? Well, so Nigeria's claim is that the original contract was procured through bribery and that subsequently Nigeria's own lawyers were also paid bribes and as a result didn't defend Nigeria when it came to the arbitration proceedings or thinly defended the country, leaving them in this vulnerable position. As for the company, P&ID and its lawyers dispute the accusation that the project was a scam from the beginning. They also dispute allegations of bribery. Kate Bioli is the FT's legal correspondent. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. For The View from Nigeria, we reached out to our West Africa correspondent, Anu Adioye. He says this court case is happening just as the country is gearing up for presidential elections. If I were one of the presidential candidates, I would also be concerned about this because if Nigeria does lose this case, it means that whoever becomes president from May will be on the hook for dealing with an $11 billion hole in public finances. Anu says that this would be catastrophic. 11 billion is a lot of money anywhere in the world, regardless of who you are. But if you're in Nigeria's position where the economy has not been doing well for quite some time now, Nigeria has not been making a lot of money from oil receipts, which makes up almost 90% of its foreign exchange, 
and now you're in a situation where you're losing almost 30% of the forest reserves, where would you even find that to begin with? I mean, it's more than what Nigeria has budgeted for health, education, justice, and a few other uh, ministries, right? So this is a huge chunk of Nigeria's 2023 budget. Anu Adeoye is the FT's West Africa correspondent. Before we go, Oscar nominations came out this week. The FT Weekend podcast is talking to two Best Director nominees, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. They're the duo behind the film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Quan and Shiner talk at length with FT Weekend podcast host Lila Reptopoulos and describe their film like this. Family drama that gets interrupted by a sci-fi film that gets sidetracked by a romance that gets undercut by... Um, an absurdist comedy. An absurdist comedy. And then it yeah. becomes this blender of narratives, uh, like a beautiful smoothie or gazpacho of a film mm-hmm. um where uh, <laughs> a cosmic gum you can hear the whole back and forth and an interview with another oscar nominee ruben osland he's the director of triangle of sadness they're all on this week's ft weekend podcast with lila raptopolis that episode is out today we'll have that link in the show notes You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Sonia Hudson, Fiona Simon, and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help this week from David De Silva, Michael Lello, and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. And our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.